Our our reading tonight is from the prophecy of Daniel, Daniel and the chapter 4. And it's a long chapter, but for the context tonight, we're going to take the time to read it all. So Daniel chapter 4. So at the, towards the end of the Old Testament, you have the prophets. You have Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. So Daniel chapter 4, reading from the verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house, and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed And the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee, tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen. And the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached on to heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it. And the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and, behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Shew down the tree, and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it, and the fowls from his branches." Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men 
and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I Nebuchadnezzar have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof. For as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonied for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the fields dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which is come upon my lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. Thy kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, 
and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honoured him that liveth for ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honour and brightness returned unto me, and my counsellors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Amen. May the Lord add his own blessing to this reading of his precious and inspired word. We will. We're turning again to Daniel chapter 4 this evening. Daniel chapter 4. And we'll be looking at something of the life and conversion of King Nebuchadnezzar. But if there's one verse in particular that is worthy of our uh, deeper meditation, it's verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honoured him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Well, with the word of God open before us tonight, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful to thee again that we are able to come and open thy word. We thank thee that we live in a land where we are permitted to have an open Bible. We don't have to hide it under floorboards, but we have liberty not only to own it, but to read it and to believe it. And we thank thee for this wonderful privilege that many of our uh, fellow human beings do not have. But Lord, again, we do ask of thee that thou would take thy word, the living word of the living God, and impress it upon the stony tables of our hearts tonight. Lord, we do ask that we would be those who drink from the fountain of thy word and be satisfied. To this end, we ask for the aid of thy Holy Spirit, for the preacher and for the listener, that we would be able to comprehend the word of our God and that we would glean wonderful things from out of thy holy book tonight. So come, give help, we pray thee, in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Daniel is considered by many to be something of a complex book. The Jews did not consider Daniel to be a prophet. They considered him to be a historian. So they divided their 
Bible, their scripture, the Old Testament, into three sections. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And the book of Daniel is in the writing sections. But of course, we today know that Daniel was indeed a prophet. He was one of the Old Testament prophets who pointed to the coming of the Messiah. Now, the book of Daniel is divided into two sections. There's the history section and there is the prophecy section. And most of the latter chapters from 7 to 12 are prophecy. But Daniel has one theme that is evident the whole way through. And it is the theme of God's sovereignty over circumstances, nations and individuals. That there's never going to be a nation in the world that God is not in control of. There's never going to be an individual. doesn't matter how big or mighty or powerful they are. That God is not able to control. So the sovereignty of God is evident in the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and many others as well. In Scripture, and indeed throughout history, a large number of men have defied God. They've waved their puny little fist in the face of God and thought that they knew better. But if ever there has been a man in history who has puffed up his chest and thought himself to be bigger and better than God, well, I think that title would have to go to King Nebuchadnezzar. He was probably the greatest and most powerful of all the Babylonian kings. His empire stretched uh, quite a considerable distance in his age and generation. The kingdom of Babylon would be in modern-day Iraq, and it stretched over many hundreds and thousands of miles. Now, although King Nebuchadnezzar puffed himself up and thought himself to be a god himself, our god could easily have destroyed him. He could easily have wiped him from this planet. He could easily have taken his last breath from him and ordered his, the last beat of his heart. But God didn't do that. In fact, God did something far greater and grander. He saved this man. He came into his life and he changed him from being a man who was walking the broad road to hell and changed him to be a child of the kingdom and a child of grace. So what we see here is the grace of God in the life of a notable sinner. And dear friend, as we see this grace in the life of this man, Nebuchadnezzar, it ought to fill you and I with hope and with confidence here tonight that as God showed grace to that man, as wicked as he was, so he will show grace to you and to me as well if we seek him for the forgiveness of our sins. There's hope for the sinner here. There is no individual that is too far gone down the path of sin that God cannot save, that God cannot forgive, and that God cannot bring into his kingdom. So I want to look tonight at the conversion of King Nebuchadnezzar, the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we're not doing a detailed study of his life and his rule and his kingdom here tonight. We're going to look at the spiritual aspects of his life. It's a gospel meeting, so we're going to look at aspects of his life and relate them, of course, to the life 
of you and me here tonight as well. So let's begin. Notice, first of all, his position in the world. Chapter 1, verse 1 says that he was the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon. I've already stressed that that was a huge empire. But he wasn't the king for a short space of time. He was the king for 43 years. Now, back in those generations, they didn't live as anywhere near as long as we uh, do today. But he had a tremendously long life. He ruled for 43 years. He was the longest running king of the Chaldean dynasty. And by the time of his death, he was among the most powerful rulers in the world. So this was not a king of a two-bit nation. This was a man who was feared. This was a man who was revered and respected uh, throughout the world. Armies would think twice whenever they heard that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was coming to fight with them. And he had this notable position in the world. And he probably thought to himself, if anybody deserves the status of deity, if anybody is worthy to be considered of a god, it's me. If anybody has done uh, immeasurable things in this world and is worthy of a place in heaven, surely it is me. That was his position in the world. He had a position of power and authority. But you know that doesn't matter in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter whether you're the king of Babylon or whether you're the king of your own house. It doesn't matter in the eyes of God. God doesn't uh, take respect of persons. He doesn't care whether you're a king or a pauper. He doesn't care whether you're rich or poor. He doesn't care whether you're educated or uneducated. He doesn't care what country in the world you come from or what religion you adhere to. There's only two types of people in the eyes of God. There's the saved, and there's the unsaved, or the lost. The saved are the believers who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and come into union with him, who've repented of their sins and believed his gospel. But then there's the lost, and they haven't done that. They're still in their sin. They're still walking that broad road to destruction. And unless they repent and become one of the believers, one of the saved, They'll be lost in hell forever. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he could boast of himself that he was the king of Babylon. But his boasting was nothing in the eyes of God. And dear friend, you and I could boast. We could boast that we've been to church every week in our life. We could boast that we're a church member. We could boast that we pay into the collection plate. We could boast that we've never been in any of the sinful or immoral places in the world. But it matters not. In the eyes of God, you're either saved or lost. Those are the only two positions that God sees. Moving on, notice his attack on the people of God. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, onto Jerusalem and besieged it. He didn't come to Jerusalem and say, teach me about your God. Show me the way of salvation. No, he wanted to attack the people of God. He wanted to bring down the temple where God was worshipped. He wanted to show his might over the, uh, uh, the nation of Judah. Well, this isn't a man who had any interest in identifying with the people of God. In fact, he wanted to fight with them. 
He wanted nothing to do with them at all. And sadly, there's many people in the world like that today. Instead of coming in and seeing what church is all about, instead of coming in and sitting under the sound of the gospel, they would rather attack the people of God. They would rather make fun of them. They would rather report us to the police. They would rather try and get us sacked from our jobs rather than come in and and hear what the gospel message is all about. Sadly, this was something similar to King Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't come to the people of God and say, teach me. No, he just wanted to fight with them and attack them because that was the pride in his heart. I know better than they do. My ways are better than their ways. So I'll just squash them. I'll just uh, obliterate them from this scene of time. And that's what many in the world want to do. They're offended by the gospel message. They don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want the street preacher. They don't want the man handing out tracts in the streets. They don't want uh, the church even to be here to have the liberty to preach the gospel. So they seek to attack the gospel and the people of God. And, And sadly, there's many who do that. But God is still able to save those people. Some of the vilest persecutors in history have become some of the choicest saints. The apostle Paul was one of them as well. But moving on, notice his religion. We see in chapter 1 verse 2, his false god. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his god, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his god. Now, Babylon had many kings. It's been very hard to identify which king uh, Nebuchadnezzar worshipped, but there was one god which was of their gods, which apparently was high over all, the god Bel, as he was called. But um, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't worship the true god of heaven. He worshipped one of the many Babylonian gods. And that signifies that uh, he was a man who didn't know truth. And this is often found in pagan religions. Rather than trying to find out the true God, they worship many gods and they hope that one of these gods will accept them and and pardon them for their sins and give them everlasting life. Well, sadly, there's many people in the world today and they're worshipping false gods. Maybe not the gods that Nebuchadnezzar worshipped or that Babylon worshipped, but they have their own gods. And you know who their biggest god is? Their biggest god is themselves. They make themselves God. They're doing that which is right in their own eyes. They're doing that which they think will make God happy. Many people today, they're of the opinion that as long as their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds in God's balance scales, that God will pardon them and let them into heaven. But dear friend, we never find any such teaching in the word of God. This is a religion that men have invented in their own minds. As long as I'm good and my good deeds are better than my bad deeds, God will pardon me and he will accept me. But dear friend, that isn't right. Men and women today are inventing their own religion. You uh, stop people in the street and you ask them, what do you think about God? And they'll give you their own thoughts and ideas. If you ask them, well, what do you need to do to get to heaven? They'll give you their own thoughts and ideas. They'll not tell you the thoughts or they'll not tell you the teachings of the Bible. And men and women today, they're maybe not worshipping down before wood or stone. They maybe haven't made a false temple like Nebuchadnezzar did. But I tell you, they're still worshipping false gods. 
gods of their own imagination. They have made up their own plan of salvation and they're following their own plan of salvation. And dear friend, I hope that isn't you here tonight because your God is not, if that's you, if you're setting your own agenda and your own salvation, you'll not be in heaven. Moving on, notice with Nebuchadnezzar, his faith in the occult. Chapter 2, verse 2. Then the king commanded the magicians, the astrologers, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to show forth the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. He didn't seek out uh, a man of God. He didn't seek out a prophet uh, initially like Daniel. He turned to the occult, uh, to the false prophets of this world. Anything but the living God. And there's many people doing that today. They're turning anywhere to God. Well, I'll just be a better person. I'll just cut out some of those notable sins in my life and I'll just start being good by by coming out to church every week and and surely that will make God happy. They're they're practicing their own methods of trying to, uh, to reach God. Well, dear friends, we're not to do that. The Bible tells us that there's one way of salvation. The apostle Peter preached, neither is there salvation in any other For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't need any other person. We don't need an earthly priest. We don't need any earthly prophet today. We don't need to be some lapdog to some pastor who claims that he has visions and dreams. No, the Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he alone is all that we need. So we don't need any other Uh, man to follow. He is the one that we are to follow. We come to church, we hear the preaching, but the preacher is only to preach the word of God and nothing else. He's not to create his own cult. He's not to create his own little following. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, he had faith in the occult. But notice also, he did have an awareness of God. He said after Daniel interpreted his dream in chapter 2, verse 47, he said, of a truth... It is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. So now Nebuchadnezzar is aware. He's aware that there's a higher power. He's acknowledged that Daniel's God is far above any other God that he has known, that that Daniel's God is able to convey to Daniel this, this communication Uh, to interpret the dream. But just because Nebuchadnezzar had an awareness of God, just because he came to believe and and have a knowledge that Daniel's God existed and was far better than all his gods, that didn't make him a believer. And that didn't make him a Christian. That didn't make him born again. There's many people in Ulster tonight, and they believe there's a God but they'll not be in heaven. There's many people in Ulster tonight and they believe that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but they'll not be in heaven. There's a difference between having a head knowledge and having a heart knowledge, whereby we have a new heart, a heart that lives for God and a heart that loves God. At this stage in his life, King Nebuchadnezzar had a head knowledge, He knew there was a God, but that didn't make him a true believer. 
And dear friend, just knowing about God and believing the basics of the Bible, as good as that is, it won't get us to heaven. There has to be more. Moving on, notice with King Nebuchadnezzar that he was guilty of idolatry. Chapter 3, verse 1. The king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. So here he made an image and he was commanding people to worship it. So again, he's guilty of creating his own religion. In verse 5, he goes on to say that at what time he heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, uh, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, he fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now we're not told this in scripture, but it is possible that he made this image to represent himself that he made this statue of himself and that he commanded worship to be given to this image, effectively worship to be given to him. And that's the pride in the heart of men. We want to be praised. We want to have the uh, adulation. We want to be recognized. We want people to think, well, aren't they great and mighty and wonderful? And it can happen with all of our hearts. And King Nebuchadnezzar, after the many victories that he had in the battle, the many kingdoms and armies that he had quashed, the many servants and subjects that he had, he really thought that he was something special to such an extent that he wanted people to worship him. Well, dear friend, we would, a true Christian will not want anybody to worship them. A true Christian will be one who wants to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we shouldn't do anything in life for the plaudits of men. We should do it for the glory of God. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, he then went on a rampage and he went on a persecution of the righteous. Chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar was angry because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down before his image. These were men of faith. These were men with a backbone. A man who loved God more than they loved the praise of uh, men. And they wouldn't bow down before the image. So he sought to remove anything that would cause him conviction. He was angry with the righteous, so he cast them into the fiery furnace. And dear friends, that's what a Christian is to this world. They are a witness of godliness. And they are a witness that our neighbors, our family, our friends, who are strangers to the kingdom of God, that they're not living right. And that's why the world can be angry with the Christian without having a cause, because the Christian is a living testimony against them, that they're not right with God. Well, as he cast them into the fiery furnace, he saw Christ with his own eyes. In chapter 3, verse 25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Three men were cast into the ferny forest, but when he looked in, he saw a fourth one. And he said himself, It's like the Son of God. 
He saw one like the Son of God. I believe it was the Son of God. I believe it was a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw Christ. But again, that doesn't make him a believer. There's many people, as our Lord Jesus Christ walked upon this earth, who saw him with their own eyes. Many people handled him and touched him, but that didn't make them believers. No. For you and I to be believers, we have to look upon the Lord Jesus Christ with the eye of faith, that he is our saviour, that he is our substitute, that he is our redeemer. It's not just enough to know these things about Christ, we have to know them personally, that on the cross, the Son of God was there for me. So he saw one like unto the Son of God. But he also witnessed the power of God to save in verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants and tr that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He acknowledged that there wasn't anything special about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What was special was their God. And he acknowledged this. He saw the power of God to save. And so it is, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you've witnessed the power of God to save. You've witnessed that God has come into the life of a family member or a friend of yours, and he's completely transformed their life. He has changed them. They don't do the things that they once did anymore. They don't talk like they used to. They don't use the same language. They don't go to the same places and engage in the same activities. In fact, it's as if they have been given a whole new life. They now love to come to church. They now love to read their Bible. They now love to pray. They now love to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ as if they know him very closely and intimately. That's because they do. If you're here and you're not saved, you've witnessed the power of God to save. Well, something happened. Nebuchadnezzar there at the fiery furnace. He made a vow, a vow to defend true religion. Chapter 3, verse 29. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. And their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. So, ah, King Nebuchadnezzar has realized there was no God, uh, no God of Babylon that could have done this. No other God in the world could have preserved men in a fiery furnace. Only the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he makes a promise, and his promise was that you weren't to speak against their God. You weren't to speak against the true God of heaven. Now he's becoming a defender of the religion. The religion that he once persecuted, he's now seeking to defend. And the penalty of death upon anybody who speaks against the true God of heaven. But again, just because he was defending the true religion doesn't mean that he was a Christian. Just because he was going to this great lengths to uh, preserve uh, the integrity and the name of our God doesn't mean that he was sided with us. Just because we do something for God does not mean that we merit a place in heaven. Because, dear friends, salvation, it's not by works. 
It's not by anything that I do, and it's not by anything you do. Some people think, well, if I leave a ton of money to the church, that'll be good enough to make God happy, and I'll get into heaven. Or if I give uh, the church um, a, a, a plot of land, or if, if I do this, if I do that, then that'll make God happy. No, it won't. There's many men in history who the Lord has used to advance his kingdom and his cause. And those men have been some of the chiefest of sinners, unregenerate, but God uses them. Well, God used Nebuchadnezzar to defend true religion. And God was striving with him. Chapter 4, verse 5. Nebuchadnezzar says, I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. He had a dream. God was striving with him. He was afraid. His conscience was pricked. He was troubled. He was worried about his soul. He knew that the gods that he worshipped, that he gave all his time and attention to, weren't real and they were profiting him nothing. God was striving with this man. And dear friend, can I tell you, if God is striving with you, it's a blessed thing. If God would speak to you today and convict you of sin, Dear friend, that's an experience that is, that is worthy of your utmost attention. But the problem is, dear friend, if God strives with you and you resist, and you resist him, you're resisting his offer of mercy. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man shall open, I shall come and sup with him and him with me. If God is knocking at your heart's door tonight, if God is convicting you of sin and showing you it's time to become a Christian, it's time to join the saved people that walk upon this earth, then, dear friend, don't ignore the call of God. God was striving here with Nebuchadnezzar, but sadly, he still went back to his old dead religion. Verse 7 of chapter 4, when he had this dream, who came back? The magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. Nebuchadnezzar says, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation. Oh, God's striving with him, but he goes back to his old ways for a little season. And there's some people that God strives with. And they say, well, I know that God is speaking to me. And I know that the Bible is right. And I know that the Lord Jesus Christ came to be a saviour. And I know that I need to be saved. But I'll put it off for a little season. And I'll wait. I'll delay. We're not to do that, dear friend. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. There will always be that last time. There'll be that last time that God strives with you. There'll be that last time you take a breath. The last time you close your eyes. There'll be a last time. And you have to make sure you're ready and prepared to meet God before that last time. Will God give him a warning over his sin? Verse 27, Daniel says, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins. Break off thy sins. Maybe your sin tonight, dear friend, is what's keeping you back from God. There's some darling sin that you love dearly and you don't want to part with. And you say, well, if I become a Christian, I'll not be able to do this anymore. But I really love doing that. It's what I live for. Well, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, break off thy sins. And dear friend, if you're to be a Christian, 
You can't be a Christian and bring your sin with you. Break off thy sins. God had patience and mercy. Verse 29 of chapter 4. At the end of the 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. What, that, what was prophesied in the dream? It didn't happen straight away. There was 12 months that were given before it happened. 12 months for Nebuchadnezzar to repent. 12 months for him to heed Daniel's warning, and he didn't do it. Every day was a day of grace for him. And dear friend, can I say that every day is a day of grace for you. Every day that you're alive, God has given you an opportunity to come to him. A day to have peace with him. A day to be reconciled every day that God gives you is a mercy from him. But notice his pride. Verse 30, chapter 4. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of thy kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Pride. He was full of pride. He wouldn't humble himself before God. And ultimately, dear friend, pride is the downfall of each of us. Because pride is the sinner saying, I don't need God. I'm good enough by myself. I'll be fine just as I am. Well, God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. We read it in verses 32 to 33. He was driven out into the field. Uh, he had um, uh, an affliction as a punishment for his pride and vanity. He had a strange form of madness that was sent upon him by God. The Greeks refer to this as lycanthropy, where the sufferer imagines himself to be a beast and he quits the haunts of men and he lives the life of an animal. And he was in this state for seven years. One day, the king of Babylon. The next day, out eating grass, thinking he's a beast. God sent this disease of the mind upon him. And dear friend, that disease was actually a blessing because God could have required his time on earth to be at an end, but he didn't. He sent this light affliction upon him, and it was a light affliction whenever you consider what God could have done for seven years. But notice the response of Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the seven years. He cried to God, verse 34, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. He looked to heaven, acknowledged that there was a God in heaven. He lifted up his eyes to him. And God heard his cry. And he answered. He says, mine understanding returned unto me. So he cried to God and God heard. And then he praised God. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever and ever. You know, dear friend, becoming a Christian isn't walking up an aisle. It's not signing a piece of paper and a card. It's not merely going through the waters of baptism. That doesn't make us a Christian. Being a Christian begins when we lift up our eyes unto God and we say, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner, and forgive me my sins and make me a child of thy kingdom. That's how we become a Christian. He acknowledged the sovereignty of God. Verse 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. 
and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? He didn't say, Well, God give me back my faculties, and, and now I'll go and live as I please. He didn't do that at all. He acknowledged that God was mighty and that he was nothing. And he received the blessing of God in verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned unto me. God give him back his faculties after all that time. And then he persevered in the faith. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. So he acknowledged, uh, he acknowledged that God had done all this for him and he walked with God. There's many people and they want the salvation of God and they claim to be a Christian and they make a profession of faith. They maybe even say a prayer, but then they don't go on with God and they don't continue to walk with God. I was reading the story of soldiers in World War I, I think it was, and they were about to go into a terrible battle. And the battle, um, they weren't expected to come out alive. All the other battalions that had gone before them had been slaughtered. And there was one man in that battalion, and he was a Christian. And he gathered the men round, and he, he preached the gospel to them. And many of them wept as they heard the gospel. There was but a moment between them and death. And many professed faith there before that battle. And he encouraged a prayer meeting and they had a prayer meeting and they all prayed and they wept. And then they went into the battle and remarkably, by the mercy of God, most of them came out the other side. It was miraculous. And the Christian, he called the men together and he said, let's have a prayer meeting and thank God for what he has done for us. And the men said, we don't need God now. We've got through the battle. We're okay. And there's many people and they only want God when there's a problem in their life. They only want God when there's some trial or trouble or difficulty. They don't want God for the long haul. They don't want God with them every step of the way. And so it is, dear friend, maybe that's the case for you tonight. You want God because you want to be in heaven. You don't want to be in hell. But we don't take God just as a, a ticket into heaven. God wants to be the king of our life now. Not just on a Lord's day, but every second of every day. With this, I'll close. This was the story of the conversion of King Nebuchadnezzar. Can I ask, dear friend, do you have a story of your conversion? It doesn't have to be as dramatic as his. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as Paul's. But are you able to say that I acknowledge that once I was a sinner, but now I am a child of the kingdom. I acknowledge that once I lived for myself and my own selfish desires and lusts, but now I live for him. We don't all have a time or a date or a place, but we must all have that change of heart where that stony heart is taken away and we have a heart of flesh. Because one day, the chapter of our life will come to an end. But where will your story end? Well, I can tell you. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. Where will you stand on that judgment day? 
Will you stand with the believers who are going to heaven? Or will you stand with the lost who are going to hell? It's up to you, dear friend. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Let us stand for prayer and the benediction. Our loving Father in heaven, we are thankful to thee that thou hast given thy word, the sure word of prophecy, to show us our sin, but also to show us a saviour. We thank thee for the example we have of Nebuchadnezzar, how this man, puffed up with pride, was humbled by thee and brought into thy kingdom. And Lord, we pray that if there are any in the meeting tonight who are outside of thy kingdom, that this will be the night that they're called by thee to leave their sin and their pride and to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen.